0: All right, we. Are, who needs this lecture, by the way? Six. Yeah. No, I think five. five. All right, who needs five? Yeah. Last week was a low week. So.
1: Have
0: two there, two. Yep. All right. Uh, we've got enough. we got plenty. We started this last week. And, uh, and so what we're looking at here, this is, as I've read, read this part of Mark, it seems to me this is about the distinguishing marks of disciples. What is it that marks us out? And um, here's what we've seen so far. We've looked at the fact that um, uh, disciples of Jesus seek greatness. They seek greatness, which is to say they seek to be the slave of all, because that's the path to greatness. Uh, We looked at the fact that disciples of Jesus must be inclusive, not exclusive. Uh, You remember uh, one of the disciples said, hey, there was a guy casting out demons in in your name, and, you know, we were kind of ticked because he doesn't follow us. And Jesus said, well, if he's for us, he's not against us. So, And what we saw there was that um, because of Jesus, they're doing that. Because you belong to Jesus, you should be accepted. Uh, disciples of Jesus have to deal with sin. That is, they're not going to cause a young believer to stumble, and they're going to be ruthless with sin in their own lives. And then we looked at 10, 1 through 12, um, disciples of Jesus must practice marital fidelity. And the reason why I put the accent there, because I think that's where the accent is, we tend to go to these passages like Mark 10 and say, look, Mark doesn't have an exception. So there's no reason for divorce and remarriage. And someone says, well, if you look at Matthew, there are two exceptions or um, one exception there. And we forget that what Jesus was driving at in particular in this section um, was disciples of Jesus are going to practice marital fidelity. They're going to be content and thankful for the spouse that God gave them. Okay? And we looked at, and I think this is important, um, Ephesians chapter um, 5. Where the, where the Apostle Paul writes, and I always thought, here, I'll, I, I think it's worth reviewing. So let's look at Ephesians 5. I think this is a key. Um, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Remember what I told you earlier, that when you're speaking, all the books of the Bible jump. They're not in the order that they normally are. Ephesians 5, now notice what he says here, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And I said, I've always wondered about that, did some study, and a friend of mine pointed something out, and that is simply this. If you're not thankful for your spouse, or you're not thankful for your singleness, it'll lead to sexual immorality. Thanksgiving is, the is, uh, in part, Thanksgiving is at the root of purity, sexual purity. And you'll notice, for example, in Romans 1, that it says that those that God gives over to their impurity are those who um, neither... Um, Honor God, nor thank him. That thanksgiving leads to this kind of darkness. And so I think that a, a, a um, mark of a disciple of Jesus is that they have contentment in marriage. They're grateful, they're thankful. They're content in their marriage and with their spouse. fidelity grows out of that. And so disciples of Jesus are known as those uh, are, are characterized by marital fidelity. Okay, so that's how far we got. Now we're looking at Mark 10, 13 through 16. Okay? Someone read that for us. Mark 10, 13 through 16.
1: Truly I say to you, whoever
0: does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And He took them in his arms and blessed them. Okay, now here's, there are two main points here. But I want us to look at this a little bit. Notice this, Jesus loves children. Okay, Jesus loves children. The disciples probably thought that Jesus was too busy or too important for children. And he says he's not. And he's indignant with those actions because Jesus actually loves children. Now, you know what that tells me? Jesus isn't indifferent. Jesus is not indifferent to the struggles and the heartaches that children have. Okay? Have you you ever thought that thought? Jesus is not indifferent to the feelings and struggles of children. He's concerned about children. Um, He wants children to come to him. Um, and, you know, we really love our children, but we ought to think this thought. Jesus loves our children even more than we do. Now, you know, there's not a lot of space given to this aspect of Jesus, but there's enough to tell us that Jesus loves children, right? And what's fascinating to me is that children like Jesus, they, they were attracted to Jesus. And, and I remember so- several years ago, probably when I was a dad, well, I still my dad, but when my kids were younger, I think this struck me, and that is, um, do I love my children like Jesus loves them? Am I child-friendly? And, and am I child-friendly to other children, okay? Am I the kind of person that children are attracted to, which, like Jesus was? The kids love Jesus. Um, and so um, that, that really struck me, um, G- children are unafraid of Jesus. Um, children are attracted to Jesus. Is that the, is that the same thing as true of me? That struck me so much that um, I want to be, okay, I want to be the kind of person that talks to children, um, that, that interacts with them. Um, in fact, my goal as a pastor is that when I walk into a room full of kids, the kids will go, Pastor Tim and they'll, they'll be attracted to me, okay? Uh, I think that's important, because that's the way Jesus was, right? That's the way Jesus was. Um, um, well, what does that mean? It means I have to have a tender heart towards children. Uh, we have to have time for children. We have to enjoy our time with children, right? Not, not thinking of it as wasted time. Um, I think all those things are true, and, and because of these passages, I've come to respect a great deal people who minister to children, okay? Um, I've come to respect those people a great deal because they're making time for children and they're entering into their world, and that's the way I think we ought to be, especially us men, especially us men, we need to enter into children's worlds and love them and, and um Make them our friends. (laughs) Uh, Be able to minister to them. So, uh, you guys here in this congregation, I think that's true of of all of us. All right? Um, Yes? I don't know if I can or not, but try.
1: I, (laughs) I just missed last week, so you're in this inclusio, I guess, with marks of discipleship?
0: Yeah. What, what, makes, what are the marks of disciples? Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, I was just curious how, that, how the 13 through 16 then was fitting in with that just in terms of um, the discipleship of Christ does not exclude children, I would assume. Right. Okay.
0: Well, the main point is we have to exercise childlike faith. That's the main point. I'm just kind of going on a tangent okay. here. This isn't the point of this passage. It's just an observation I'm making about Jesus. (laughs) Of course, I've spent a lot of time on it. (laughs) But here's what he he drives at. Um, Jesus says, number one, here's here's one thing, okay? Jesus says that um, children are fit subjects of the kingdom. Children are fit subjects of the kingdom. I think he's he's indicating here, first of all, that um, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Okay? To these kind of people, children belongs the kingdom of God. Children are capable of exercising saving faith. Now, I used to be, I used to be of the persuasion that you shouldn't, you shouldn't, to me, to I think scripturally baptism is a a river that once you cross, it's, it's crossing a Rubicon, as, as it were. When you're baptized, you are saying clearly that you are a disciple of Jesus, that you're willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. That's what I think baptism says. And so I tended to say, let's not baptize children. Okay, I tended to say that. And, um, and here's you know how I learned that? I learned that when I read about believers in Russia that in in the days of the communists, they, they wouldn't baptize anyone until they were at least a teenager just because they had to know the cost, right? So that really influenced me. But then, you know, I think the Bible says that children can exercise saving faith. So I've kind of changed that. That was reflected in my family with my boys weren't baptized till, what, 13 or 14. How old were you, Emma? 13 Okay. Well, I thought the girls were baptized a little earlier. No? Wasn't it maybe it was just you that we th- <laughs> All right.
1: Mhm. Mhm. And we mm-hmm. I mean, look at the power of the little children's faith and the praises of Jesus.
0: That's pretty incredible to say, Because this is tiny nursing baby. Well, I don't know. Just what, what are you telling me, honey? Children are super important. Yeah. And their praises are incredible. Yeah. So, I think Jesus indicates here, children, these, such, the kingdom is made of such as these, okay? but Then he makes the point that, um, uh, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, Jesus wants us to understand that we have to exercise childlike faith if we'd enter the kingdom of God. So, that's what has to mark us, childlike faith. You know... It used to be you could tell your kids anything and they'd believe you, right? Dad, why is the sky blue? Because it's not green. And they would just say, okay, right? Good enough for me. Well, you know, our faith doesn't have to be complicated. It's It's just believing what Jesus said. You know, sure, he can save me. He's Jesus, the Savior who came to do that. Okay? It's not complicated. And, and I think that should mark us as disciples, just this childlike faith, taking God at his word. Um, that's, what, that's what's required of us. Okay, questions on this? No? Okay. All right. Um, disciples of Jesus must choose Jesus over everything else. Okay, let's look at this text. Uh, Mark ten seventeen through 31. And he, what's that? Mark 10, 17 through. Um, they have to choose Jesus above everything else. Would you like some notes? Hi? Well, if you don't want to use him, you don't have to. Okay, here we go. And as he was sitting out, you know, I'm getting old and <laughs> hard for me to read the fine print. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Who do you, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not bear fault witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went out very sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. All right. Now, Jesus challenges this rich young man by reciting these. So this. This young man comes, and Jesus recites these commandments to him, right? And I don't believe the challenge is intended to teach you. If you can keep all the commandments, you'll have eternal life. You're going to make it. What I think he's saying is Jesus challenges a young man who believes that he's kept all the commandments. Notice what commandment is missing. There's one. He doesn't have all the commandments there, obviously. There's one um, these are all second table commandments, right? Person-to-person commandments. There's one that he's left out. What is it? Can you tell me? You know, second table commandments are the first um, four deal with God, and the last six deal with person-to-person, horizontal, vert- vertical and horizontal. What's the one? W- these are called the second table commandments, if you will. What's the one that's missing from that, last, from that list? Don't covet, right? Don't covet. And um, has the young man kept the commandments of God? He thinks he's done it. He says, yeah, 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 okay. Jesus said, this is what you need to do. He goes, yeah, yeah, I've done all that, right? So then Jesus says, all right, sell everything. Follow me. And what does he do? He walks away. He's sad. Because he has lots of possessions. And he doesn't want to sell them. And what, the, what Jesus is pointing out is he has a covetous heart. Now, you know what? You know what I found? If you look in Luke um, 12, the story of the man who says, um, I've got all this wealth. I need to build bigger barns. And then he dies. Right? What's interesting about that is Jesus is making the point that he's covetous. He's, he's guilty of coveting. He said, wait a minute, he's not coveting anything else. No, but he's, this is what I, I want. This is what I have. Okay? And um, Jesus is making the point that when that's what we want, that's what we're after, then we're guilty of coveting. Okay? Um, what's interesting here is Jesus doesn't immediately. This is, this is bad evangelism here, right? I want to follow you. Now, when someone says, Yeah, I want to follow Jesus, what do we say? Okay, let's get it done. But that's not what Jesus does here, right? He says, Okay, let's wait a minute. Let's talk for a few minutes here, all right? But what's the point that's happening here? And that is. He can't earn anything from God. He's not going to earn anything from God. But the point is, if you want to follow Jesus, he has to be it. You, nothing else matters but Jesus. There's absolutely nothing else that matters but Jesus. Do you remember the Syrophoenician woman that we met earlier? Remember where she says, um, my daughter, could you heal my daughter? And he says, look, I've come for the children of Israel, you know. Um. um uh, how does, uh, what? My mind's blank now. Um, the crumbs, right. You, 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 the dogs eat the crumbs. Thank you, Caleb. And she says, fine, whatever you can give me, I'll take it. Remember, she's the one who's saying, I'll just take crumbs. You're my only hope. This is what Jesus is driving at. You've got to want Christ more than anything, He's got to want Christ more than His possessions. He can't stand to be without Jesus. He's got okay, if that's what it takes, I I want you above all else, but that's not the case. And he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Now, now look, some people, in order to avoid the really I mean, that's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? And some people trying to avoid that have said, well, you know that there is a gate. There is a gate in the walls of Jerusalem called Eye of the Needle. And camels had to, had to get on their knees and go through that, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the sheer impossibility of it all, right? Um, it shows the power of possessions over us. It shows the power of possessions um, he would rather have his possessions than what Jesus had to offer. Okay, he would rather have his possessions than what Jesus had to offer. Uh, yeah, Caleb. Say that again. Yeah, when you can. Yeah, I was thinking, I don't know if it's an either or. I don't, you know, again, God, does God require that we all sell our possessions? It doesn't appear that way from the rest of Scripture. However, however, yeah, I think it does say that, um, it does say that Jesus has to mean more than all that. Because I've been thinking too, and I'm not answering your question yet. Um, uh. Would I be willing to give up everything if, if it came to following Jesus, would I be willing to lose everything? You know, When I read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, it appears that way. that You know what? If you follow Jesus, you, you, you will be willing. On the basis of his promise, you're willing to give up everything. Now, to answer your question, I guess I don't see it as an either or. Okay? Um, now, again... I want to look at this passage and say, what is Jesus saying here? What is the intent of this? Um, and I think it's an intent to tell us what we as disciples need to be. So explain to me, Caleb, and I, and and I'm um, how how you might see the law gospel thing working here. Okay. I, I just know it's commonly used as a good for yeah. law gospel. Yeah. Right. 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 He's he's pointing to the fact that though you think you've kept all these things, yet your heart remains apart from me. Therefore, you need to humble yourself like a child. Right? Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Yes, yes. So, so stated that way, I'd go, yeah, there's a law gospel thing. He's showing him just how far he is from Jesus. Is that what you're saying? Is it my understanding you're right? And I would say, yeah, absolutely. That's what Jesus is doing here. Got a question, dear? Okay, They didn't own him. I like that phrase. Yeah, I don't know. But is that kind of what you're talking about, Caleb? I don't know. I yeah, I think, you know, Caleb is saying that, so he, he says, okay, sell all your possessions. This is, this is the law. Don't covet, right? And it's showing that how far he is from Jesus in that, ah, I don't want to do that. He's turning away from the, the one thing that would, you know. It's the testing. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I could be wrong here because of just, I guess, wondering what the significance is of Jesus using the second table
1: uh-huh. on the wall. Uh huh. hmm.
0: Let me show you how you haven't kept the first... Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, I think that's legitimate. Let me tell you how my my approach is here, guys, and that is we we look at... uh, we look at this passage and we want to fit it all neatly into this thing. Is he, is he really going after the second table or is he really talking about the first table? Well, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know that, that um, okay. I want to stay clear to the intention of the author. Uh, what is he intending to communicate? And so what, what you guys are talking about here which is not wrong. Okay, please don't misunderstand me. Now we're talking systematic theology, all right? And that's drawn from here, and we compare passages and we put it up here. But I think part of the problem that we have is we want to take every passage and make it fit nicely theologically and say, well, yeah, but, you know, we know that he's only dealing, like, with the second table. So what happens to the first table now? What's going on? I mean, aren't all the Ten Commandments? I mean, I, what's going on here? Well, yeah, it could be the first table. He's saying, well, um, you know, you just don't love God like you should. You're not seeking God. You've got something in the place of God. Yeah, that's legitimate. I, I think you could say that. But I don't know that in that at that moment that's what Jesus is driving at. Am I making sense here? So that the intention is, do you want Jesus or not? How badly? How badly do you see he's your only hope? I think that's the main point. And then later we can talk about some of these other things, okay? Which is not to say that it's wrong to bring those things up. It's just to say, be careful that we don't say, well, that can't be right because you're ignoring the first table. Oh, well, the table, the law is one. You I mean, in one point of guilt. Yep, you're guilty, period. Yeah. I mean, personally, only goes so far to help you see certain things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look, I'm I'm not saying, I'm not using this as an attack on on what's been said here. But um, those are things that we can put together and say, aha, here's what's happening. Here's what we can see clearly um, as we move from here to here. Uh, And maybe I'm a little bit of a fanatic about this. Um, um, So, now, here's the point. What, is, what does Peter say in response to all this? By the way, Jesus wasn't thinking of the state of Ohio when he made this statement. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? You know what the motto of our state is? With all things God is possible. Did you know that? Anybody know that? Am I the only one who knows that? <laughs> so, anyway. So Jesus is... Jesus is essentially saying, um, they're going, well, who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, with God, all, with man it's impossible. With God all things are possible. I mean, it's going to take the supernatural working of God in order for a person to come to Jesus, especially a rich person. Now, again, when you read the, the Gospels, um, you get this idea that there are Remember in Matthew, in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, um, "You either serve God or you serve money." And what's interesting about that is he seems to be saying there's a rival God. This is how powerful money and possessions can be. It's a rival God, right? It is. It can take you and it can possess you. I like what you said, Beck. It's not what you possess; it's whether it possesses you. And, and, and the, the, Jesus seems to make this point, in Matthew at least, that, that riches are a rival God calling for your allegiance and your worship and your attention. And it seems to me that that's a very, very, very powerful competitor to, um, to Jesus, all right? And we see that again here. Uh, so, so it takes the work of God, it does. Okay? Um, now we could go on now, and, and I'm tempted to, but you do this on your own, speculate or think about or meditate on, why is it so hard for rich people to come to Jesus? We won't go into that now. But how does Peter respond? Look at what Peter says in response to all this. What does he say? What's that? Yeah, we've done it. Jesus, we've done it. That's what we've done, Jesus. And it's almost like either he's feeling sorry for followers of Jesus or he's saying, um, look at the great sacrifices we have made. Okay? I don't know how to read that. But it does, it does boil down to, well, look at all the great sacrifices we have made. And Jesus' response is to say, you really haven't made that great of a sacrifice. Okay? By giving up everything for me. Why? Why isn't, why isn't it such a great sacrifice to give up everything for Jesus? What you gain is way bigger. Gain in, by the way, notice, gain in this life. Right? Gain in this life. What do we gain in this life? Yeah, you've got you got a bigger family than, than you ever had before. And you have more possessions than you had before, right? Because we're all, you know, if, if we're truly following Jesus, we're going to say, you know, hey, come to my house, <laughs> right? Be a part of us. Um, um, I have a family that's much bigger than Beck and I and the six kids and my in-laws and my grandchildren. We have a much, much bigger family than that. We have, um, boy, um, I can think of sons and daughters in the faith that I have that are very dear to me, okay? And just look at all that we gain, right? So I think of uh, Pam. Pam's a single woman in our family. She's kind of like, she's kind of like the Emma, the second mom, right? Right? Was it you that said to your mom, if Pam dies, what, were you the one who said that? What was it now? If, I think it was along the lines of, you like me, but she loves me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mom, you like me, but Pam loves me. Yeah. So our kids, like, have Pam, right? And our grandkids have Pam. Um. You know what? My grandkids have Uncle Dennis sitting here, right? They have Uncle Dennis. He's, he's the, Dennis, uh, Dennis, you can just shut your ears so I won't embarrass you, but Dennis is the most popular guy in our church with all the little kids. Every one of them except one loves Dennis. I'm trying to remember who the exception is. Oh, you won her? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Melody, yeah. You got, Okay. So you think about those things, no, no kidding, Dennis, everyone the kids love Dennis. Dennis is I don't know, Dennis, if I can say this, Dennis to me is like Jesus to children, uh, but i I really I really wonder if Jesus did the things that he does to get the kids to like him, and that's for another day. But see, we we all gain those things, that all becomes part of us we. We, we get a, 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 a family, we get more property, if you will, if we're being what we should be, because we follow Jesus. It's amazing the things that you have, okay? Um, uh, I'm going to pick on Maddie. Maddie's sitting over here. Maddie is like, um, like a daughter to us, right? Maddie lived with us for five years while she went to school. So, uh, we've, at least from my perspective, we have this incredible family um, that goes way beyond my immediate family. Uh, And that's the way it should be. That's the way way it should be. That's what Jesus is saying. Peter, I kind of think Peter's feeling sorry for himself, and and it's kind of like Jesus patting him on the back and saying, Peter... It's not, you know, really, you don't need to feel sorry for yourself here or the followers of Jesus. You've you got a pretty good deal going here. But not only in this life, but what? Eternal life as well. So it's a win-win. Of course, he does throw persecutions in there. <laughs> He's not going to, you know, Jesus never pulls his punches, right? You, by the way, you also get persecution. Um, but again, can I say this? If we got a family like that, then persecution will not be as hard to bear, OK? Um, and so Jesus' disciples will not be covetous people, but people who are satisfied in Christ. All right, much we have one more to go or two more? <sighs> well, well, we'll get as far as we can in one minute, two minutes. Disciples of Jesus must serve, OK? Disciples of Jesus must serve. Uh, Verses uh, 32 to 52. Who read that? All the way through fifty-two. Okay. okay. And James and John, the son of Zebody, came up to him
1: and said to him, Teacher, we want you to by the roadside.
0: All right, that's all we have time for. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what Jesus says is the mark of discipleship here, but I also want you to think about, because I've included it here, how in the world does healing this blind man fit with what he just talked about? Okay? How does this fit with what he just talked about? Because I think that's not a separate story. I think it's still part of the greater... Uh, point of giving in order um, to be great. So how's the, how is the blind Bartimaeus, how does that fit with that, okay? And I think there's clues in the text that would tell you that, okay? All right, we gotta quit. Um, so we'll finish that up and maybe dive into the next, yeah, we'll have to dive into the next one um, about Jesus and what he reveals. Okay, very good. Uh, questions? If you think any questions, write them down. We'll talk about it next week then, okay? All right, well, let's pray. Again, Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for how it, um, how it comes to us, how it, it's living and active, how it brings conviction and life Um, understanding, all of these things that we need. Lord, your word accomplishes all that. So we're thankful for that and thank you for it. Help us now as we enter into worship uh, to love you by listening and by singing and by giving and by participating. We pray, Lord, that in all of this, your name would be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.